Welcome to the Healthcare Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk, and today we're talking about the state of digital health with Arlen Myers, President and CEO of the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs. Arlen, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be back. So let's start by talking about some of the biggest issues in digital health that really affect the broadest group of people. So would you say that's patient portals and electronic medical records? And, and what are some of those primary issues that both people in the industry and the people that are serviced by the industry are facing? Well, I think the biggest issue is uh, where and when does digital health actually create value? Because you know, digital health is a relatively new phenomenon. And for listeners that may not understand what we're talking about. Digital health is the application of information and communications technologies to exchange medical information. And it it describes several categories, actually, of technologies. For example, electronic medical records, patient portals, iPhone apps, big data, data analytics, artificial intelligence, um, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it, it's kind of a generic term. Um, and it happened probably, uh, uh, it, it began to uh, recognize some dissemination and implementation probably five to 10 years ago. Um, and to the point where, you know, on the one side, uh, the, uh, the evangelists uh, claim that it's radically transforming medicine. Uh, on the other side, some folks uh, have characterized it as snake oil. So the real question is, where is the truth? And as, which, as with most things, it's somewhere in between. Um, so I think the, 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 the question we're presented with as of today, as far as digital health, is, you know, where and when does it really add value? And where can you do it and creating a sustainable business model? Who exactly is feeling, I guess, the worst of the pain points of especially electronic medical records? And, and who are those that, that would say, you know what, for all the ease that it's supposed to bring, yeah, this is just a bunch of snake oil? Well, I don't think any healthcare professional disagrees with the notion that we need to digitize medical information and, and make it you know, accessible, interoperable, and all the things that we'd like. Two basic observations. One is that most doctors, a significant percentage of doctors, would attribute the present electronic medical record platform as a significant contributor to their burnout and just burdensome administrivia. It, the, the platform wasn't designed to take care of patients. It was designed to bill. Mm -hmm. And so we get a whole lot of pushback from doctors who just want to see patients and don't want to be annoyed with all the non-value added billing issues. And finally, you know, uh, uh, the pain points really trickle down through the system because it's not just only a question of burnout and administrivia, but the fact of the matter is it's been shown that medical records can actually contribute to medical errors. So. That there are lots of issues that need to be solved. How are they contributing to medical errors then? Yeah, well, a typical example is, uh, so I see a patient and I have to enter it into an electronic medical record system, but because the system requires you to enter information into certain data fields, 
that the doctor feels are insignificant or trivial, there's a lot of copy and pasting going on. So a five-minute visit translates into a 17-page document, particularly in the emergency room. And then when the patient is referred to a follow-up specialist or generalist, it may take you five minutes to read through all this stuff to figure out why the patient was actually referred. So that then, so what happens with that pasting business is that if there is an error in the record, it gets perpetuated to the point where, you know, we're not talking about your date of birth is one day off. We're talking about allergies that are wrong, medicines that are wrong, physical body parts that are wrong. It's, I mean, there was one example where a patient was said to have had a missing right leg when in fact, they had both legs, and it just get it just gets perpetuated through the record. If if it weren't so serious, it would almost be comical. Well, I know that with insurance, any type of insurance number, like you mentioned, you know the birth date. Um, I guess as a patient of healthcare, you know that if your if your birth date is wrong with insurance, then it's just a huge headache to be able to get that fixed. That it seems like does the same apply for EMRs? That it's increasingly difficult to get the records corrected on all the different platforms? Well, actually, I would argue it's the opposite trend, because what we're seeing is the pain points happen to the providers, and people don't like to be called providers, but let's just say health professionals. Uh, There are pain points to the payers. There are pain points to the hospital or healthcare facility that has installed the medical record. And there's pain points to the patient. Probably the most annoying pain point to the patient is they can't get their information. The information is not interoperable, so they can't transport it from one place to the next. Or they're having problems getting the information in terms of just actually looking at the medical record and what the doctor wrote. What's evolved is something called open notes, which means that in some institutions, or on some healthcare platforms like Apple or Google or, you know, the other big five, um, patients are increasingly given the opportunity to access their electronic medical record so they can review what's in the note and make sure that the information is accurate. Now, if you find that, and just again, let's take the example that your date of birth is wrong, well, then how do you get that fixed? Well, In most instances, you can't go in as a patient and edit your medical record. You you typically have to send a note or you have to communicate with someone or you have to make it known that the information is wrong at the next doctor visit or maybe even online. However, some places are taking it the next step further in what are called my notes, which actually means that the patient can, in fact, edit their electronic medical records. Now. With that comes issues, responsibilities, authority, liability, all that business. But the fact of the matter is that the pendulum is swinging more toward A, patient own, patients owning their information, B, uh, B, therefore being able to edit it, and C, more intriguing, is being able to sell it or to monetize the data. When you say monetize, who, who specifically would be looking to monetize it? The patient. So, for example, right now, you may or may not be aware that your medical information 
is being sold to someone else to be used. It's just like Facebook. Mm -hmm. Well, if you own the information, if that is your data, some people are making the argument that A, it's an intellectual property violation or infringement because it's your data. And maybe you should be able to copyright it and therefore require approval and payment for any use. Um, the second is um, how much would you charge if you were a patient and a, for example, a pharmaceutical company comes to you and says, we want your information to inform our clinical trials. Well, how much do you want? How much money do you want? And what would that business model look like to sell your information to a third party? Others, others argue that right now, uh, if someone takes your information, particularly if it's a government agency like Medicare, it's an illegal taking. So some people have jurists, some lawyers have taken the, the stance that this is actually unconstitutional. So it gets into all kinds of interesting issues in terms of legal, social business when the patient owns the data, when the patient owns the medical record, when the patient has the capability of changing that medical record and monetizing that information, what does that look like? That's fascinating. And, and that's something that you wouldn't have thought of uh, that would be possible within ele electronic medical records is is monetization. The cynics would say, sure, monetization by by healthcare providers or those sorts of, um, of entities, but by the consumer itself. So what are some of the other, I guess, surprising either issues or advantages that you are seeing with electronic medical records and some of the things that you just, from a, an industry standpoint, because you have such a view of it, you think are really taking hold and are interesting to see? Well, the things that are taking hold are, uh, you know, attempts to remove the barriers to interoperability. And everyone, I think, all, most listeners have had some experience with the sick care system. Most of us probably, most of us probably have not been really excited about that experience. I mean, no one wants to go to the doctor or a, or a sick care facility unless they have to. So, no one's real excited about any of this. And when you get there, there's all kinds of issues, you know, the consumer experience or the patient experience. It's just not a pleasant experience. So one of the unfortunate unpleasant experiences is that if you go to an emergency room at place A and you have what may be an unnecessary MR scan for back pain, but that's another issue, then you're referred to a follow-up doctor a couple of weeks later or the next day and you show up at that subsequent doctor's office and the, and you say to the doctor well what did my MR scan show I and you know what it. that doctor most likely is going to say I haven't seen it and the patient you the patient says why not and you say the doctor because I can't get to it it's like in the old days when you had an Apple computer and you were trying to communicate with a PC, you couldn't do it. Well, the same thing is going to happen and is happening in medical records. We're, they're breaking down the barriers to interoperability so that someday, anywhere, anytime, anyplace, you'll have a medical ATM 
and you'll be able to get money anywhere, anytime, any place in the world from a central account. When you talk about the interoperability of these uh, EMRs, of course, what comes to mind is proprietary nature of software and one EMR will use this set of, of parameters or data to classify things where then when you switch to new EMR system, uh, then you've got this issue where they just don't talk to each other. What are some of the advancements or, or improvements that are being made within the entrepreneurial space, some of the Silicon Valley startups or, or elsewhere that see this legacy data issue and are trying to tackle that? Well, probably the bright, shiny objects that are getting most of the play are uh, centralized electronic medical records in the cloud, uh, blockchain, artificial intelligence, machine learning, time stamping, uh, accelerated uh, uh, healthcare information technology, cybersecurity technologies. But, but again, those things, in my view, are sort of temporary fixes because if we had a single source of truth, that is a centralized electronic medical record that any patient could contribute to, monitor, and own, just like your bank account, and again, probably the, the ATM analogy is fitting, then all of these issues go away. It's like, the, again, the old days, you had an Apple computer and you downloaded Word you know, you couldn't download Word. Now you can. It's a non-issue. So all of this stuff will come together. The second, um, you know, probably the, the trend is that actually the configuration of the hardware and the software will be more like an iPhone and iPhone apps instead of just proprietary software in the box. So that these electronic medical records will be integrated across platforms so that one fax machine can talk to another fax machine. It would be like a telephone and everybody had a different telephone and you had to have the same kind of telephone, like a walkie talkie to talk. Well, that's all that's gonna go away. So now there's gonna be a big platform, whether it's in the cloud, whether it's your own, whether it's hybrid, but there'll be apps so that if you wanna add something to the electronic medical record, you'll be able to do that. And, and that's called FHIR, F-H-I-R, which is a movement that's going on fairly quickly. And I think eventually what we're going to see are uh, integrated, uh, centralized uh, repositories of medical information owned by the patient, distributed on an interoperative platform, and supplemented in development processes by applications or developers. With your group, the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs, uh, you do focus on the entrepreneurial mindset that's involved in, and conviction and confidence that it takes to have this type of uh, entrepreneurial venture. Why is that so important? And what was the significance in, in having this group to be able to think about problems entrepreneurially? The, the reason we created the Society of Physician Entrepreneurs was uh, one that every physician, engineer, scientist, et cetera, uh, has a good idea. Uh, unfortunately, the vast majority of them have absolutely no idea what to do with that idea. They won't learn 
or be taught what to do with it during their formal training. So all these people, so the, the problem is that I don't believe that sick care can be fixed inside. In other words, there are very few industries that have been able to radically transform themselves from inside. And sick care is no different. So it has to be an outside-in, inside-out collaboration. And there are many, many examples in contemporary medicine where what we are seeing was not invented here. In other words, inside. So, for example, telemedicine, that wasn't invented by some doctor. It was invented by some video conferencing company that was applied to sick care. So it's like the tail wagging the dog. Electronic medical records. Well, doctors didn't invent the IT platform. It was software and hardware entrepreneurs that applied it to sick care. Um, digital health is a good example. Most digital health technologies have nothing to do with doctors creating them. It has to do with outside technologies, whether it's GPS, whether it's aerospace, whether it's telecom, whether it's nanomaterials, et cetera, that were applied to medicine. So we simply can't rely on doctors to solve a problem that they contributed to creating. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So we have to be able to collaborate and basically innovate our way out of the sick care mess. And the sick care mess, I think most everybody in the audience would agree, uh, is a mess. It, you know, in terms of equity, in terms of outcomes, in terms of the experience, in terms of the cost, and in terms of the doctor and user experience. It, it just isn't working for the large majority of Americans. The only way, in my opinion, that we're going to be able to fix this thing is through, I mean, there's several steps. There's several steps to the, what I call the big fix, but one of them has to be innovation and entrepreneurship. Now, long answer to your question, but the bottom line is because of the way doctor and doctors and patients have been ignored in the value chain, in the innovation value chain, and most doctors do not have an entrepreneurial mindset, I'd say about 1%. And it's not their fault. It's because that's, that's the way they're picked. You don't get into medical school because you're a creative genius. You don't get into medical school because you have an entrepreneurial mindset. You get into medical school because you know how to memorize a bunch of stuff. You know how to perform in a standardized interview. You know how to check off all the boxes in your application. And in fact, once you get in, if you express an innovative, creative, or different idea, it's likely you will be branded as a disruptive physician and you are, you are beaten up to conform. So it's, it, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a discordance. On the one hand, we want you to innovate and create value. On the other hand, we want you to conform and we're not going to teach you how to create it. Do you think there's hope for the healthcare industry in terms of encouraging a little bit of entrepreneurial mindset among physicians now that it's becoming clear that solutions to digital health are coming from the outside, not inside? Do you think people will finally realize that there is some value in thinking a little bit outside of the box from inside? 
They already are. But unfortunately, what's happening is that the the medical the medical education establishment of which I am a member, because my, I spent my entire career as an academic surgeon, um, in my view, is is much too slow in catching up to this. So, do I think that medical schools or are going to change the application process radically? No. Do I think that this uh, business of medicine education will get integrated into medical school and residency uh, education programs? No, not fast enough. So what's happening is that two things are happening. One, if you have an entrepreneurial mindset as a medical professional, you're going to innovate your heart out, but keep it a secret because you're going to get beat up too much if you do it. If you try to make the existing system obsolete, you're going to get beat up. So they keep quiet and they do it secretly. And and the medical students or the applicants, the pre-meds, are too smart to say, I don't want to be a practicing physician. I want to create a biotech company at the interview. They're just too smart. So they answer the right question. They tell you what you want to hear. Everybody goes through this scripted little theater. It's kabuki. So everybody like you know, smiles and says, oh, this is fun. Let's do this. And you're great. And we want you. But that's that's not the way the world is working. So what happens is they fake it. And once they get into the system, then they try to stay off the radar until they're able to tell truth to authority with some confidence. And the sec second is that you're seeing a lot more and more doctors just simply dropping out of clinical practice. Um, and it starts really early. We're seeing more and more medical students uh, not take a residency and and because they want to go to work for a startup. We're seeing existing physicians limiting their clinical half-life. They don't want to practice for 40 years and see 20 patients a day like I did. I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> That's not the way Gen Z and Gen X works. That's not how they're wired. And finally, Doctors who've been practicing for a while are saying, you know what, I'm fed up. I'm not going to deal with this dysfunctional system. I have really good ideas. I think I can make a bigger impact. So I'm going to drop out of clinical medicine and I'm going to pursue a non-clinical, that is not see patient career, but at the same time contribute value to patients. I mean, they're not running out and creating flower shops or a deli. They're trying to create value by non-clinical means. As a doctor, I mean, ultimately, our role is to help patients. There are different ways of doing that, one of which is to see 20 a day for 40 years. People aren't embracing that model as much as they used to. This is going to lead to, and this is already happening, of course, a physician and, and nurse shortage. So, again, the question is, at what point does academia and and traditional healthcare institutions realize, okay, we're we're churning people out and we're losing people faster than they're coming in. And so we're going to have to innovate and we're going to have to listen to uh, to some of the, the lean startups and, and the lean agile thinking to keep the future of our healthcare industry. Right. So my answer to that question is that healthcare, sick care and higher ed will change when they have to. They're simply not, I mean, despite all the pain, they don't think there's enough pain yet that they have to. 
The sick care model is unsustainable. The higher ed model is unsustainable. The medical education model is unsustainable. You know, despite the fact that NYU announces that they're going to cover the tuition of their medical students to all this hoopla, the fact of the matter is, is that helpful? Yes. Will it change the mindset of the doctors who finish? And oh, by the way, it is not a totally free ride. What they have waived is the tuition. They have not waived paying to live in New York City for four, maybe eight years. And that's not cheap. The books they have to pay for, the food they have to pay for, the unaffordable housing they have to pay for, the transportation, et cetera, et cetera. So even with tuition waivers, you could still wind up finishing NYU Medical School, in my calculation, $75,000 to $100,000 in debt just because you have to live in New York City. So that may, it may not solve the problem. And in my view, it won't solve the problem. So, um, and, but more people have applied to medical school than ever. There are more applicants to medical school than there has ever been. Within what time period? Well, just recently. I mean, the last, you just look at the numbers. I mean, this last medical school application process, they admitted the highest number of medical students ever. Part of it is because they've expanded the number of medical students, but part of it is that the three highest paying jobs in the United States are medicine, tech, and law. And you know, with all of this noise about the value of higher education, people are still saying, well, at least if I become a lawyer, a data scientist, or a surgeon, I'll make a couple of bucks to pay off the debt. So that the pain point is not there yet. So that the, the, the labor economics work in the still work in the favor of the medical school. There's an, a, a, almost an infinite demand for medical education. So as long as they can get away with it, they will. Arlen, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. And thanks to you listeners for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com industries. Subscribe to articles, podcasts, and creative video. Until next time, I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk.